glorious evening that we already have begun to enjoy after a blessed day in which God has so favored us with the beauties of the wonders of his creation about us. Indeed, can't we say with the psalmist of Psalm 118, Indeed, this day the Lord hath made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. This morning as we gathered together and enjoyed an opportunity of worshiping our wonderful Heavenly Father, he has now given to us yet another privilege today, this evening at the 5.30 hour, to come together and look yet again into a portion of his word, to sing praises of hymns to him, and also to engage in prayer. Tonight, as we come to this portion of our lesson, I would ask that you ponder with me a lesson that I have shown here on the wall to my left. We will try this tonight as opposed to that screen, working out which might be preferable or which we might prefer in terms of a better way of doing that. You'll notice that the subject itself surrounds the matter of faith, the faith of Noah. As we consider the characters of the Bible, and maybe especially those of the Old Testament, the faith of Noah is held to high regard for you and me, and maybe inasmuch as faith is so significant, it would do us well to devote some attention tonight to a study and a consideration of the characteristics of faith. You'll notice the subtitle I've given it, a study of that text that was read for us a moment ago by Brother Terry from the 11th chapter, verse 11 of the book of Hebrews. If you would, go ahead and turn there with me as we will consider that verse in some detail here in just a moment. By way of introduction then to the lesson tonight, might I ask you to think with me of the fact of where faith is amongst the various doctrines taught in the Word of God. It's certainly a fair thing to say that salvation by grace through faith is the cardinal doctrine of the entirety of the Word of God. To say that another way, that subject, salvation by grace through faith, the central core concept to be found in the entirety of God's Word, you and I realize much could be said about the various words in that statement. First of all, the goodness of God's grace. How he has looked down upon a world of sinners like you and me, and though we did not deserve it, yet he sent his Son, allowing him to shed his blood, so that you and I, as sinners and apart from him, could nonetheless be saved. Words never will be able to thank God enough by you and me for that grace. But the fact is, the grace exists. And as we noted this morning, that grace has appeared to all men, Titus 2.11. It is nonetheless the subject of our study tonight. What about the other major term of that statement? Salvation by grace through faith? In fact, wasn't it Paul who stated in Ephesians 2 verse 8, For ye are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Just as certainly as that grace is God's gift toward us, there is a response to God's grace, a response that's required of you and me. That is faith. Notice that Paul, in fact, referred to that element when in the Galatian letter, in Galatians, or rather Romans 3, verse 28, he made the remarkable statement, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Faith is a critical part of ever being pleasing to God. Apart from that, we cannot be pleasing to Him. Two chapters later in Romans 5, verse number 1, we also notice that it is by the element, by the activity of faith, that we find we're justified. We are in fact found acceptable in His sight. All of that being said, 
perhaps we've come to ask, what then is faith? We've clearly set before ourselves the thought of its necessity, the fact that it must be an element in our proper appearance before God. But what is faith? Well, as you'll notice, the very last statement that I have on that screen, let's look at Noah. Maybe by observing and revisiting the character of his life and the faith that he exhibited, we can come to a better feeling of what faith really is in my life and yours. Well, that's it. Let's perhaps move to a text that helps us define the very subject that we're considering tonight. That subject, of course, being faith. None of us need any reminder that the world in which we live is not always terribly clear about what faith is, what it involves, and where it leads a person. In fact, to state that differently, there's a great deal of confusion, isn't there, about exactly what is faith. Might I submit to you that from the time of, say, the 16th century onward, there has been a significant difference of viewpoint regarding what faith is, and yet so many think that each and every viewpoint is to be found in the same book. Well, we understand that isn't in fact the case. God's rather clear on what faith is and what it involves, so let's in fact look at that faith chapter in the Bible. There have been some who have well called Hebrews chapter 11 God's great honor roll of faith. We made mention of that in the Bible study hour this morning as we remember the various listing of those great heroes of faith, those who God said acted by faith, and as such they were acceptable in his sight. What then is faith? The very first verse in that chapter gives God's only specific definition in all of his word about what faith is. Look with me, if you would, at verse 1 in that chapter. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. As clearly as that King James translation presents it, I thought it might be wise, and you may well have a different translation. But I've listed for us also the American Standard Version rendering of that same verse. According to the American Standard Version, which is highly regarded as the single clearest and the translation that is the most accurate regarding the original Greek translation. It reads the verse this way. Now faith is assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. We clearly notice that there's a remarkable similarity between those two translations. Just to give you yet another one to consider, look at the English Standard Translation. This translation is, in fact, that version only was made about five years ago now. But look at the way it's rendered in that text. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is a tremendous and pertinent aspect in the sense that as these verses portray, we should devote a few more minutes and make sure we understand clearly the words because faith is defined by that very text. That being said, Consider with me these definitions for some of the terms in those verses. The King James used the word substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You'll notice that that word itself means the objective reality that gives a firm guarantee and basis for confidence or assurance. Please note that with me again if you would. That objective reality that in fact 
gives a firm guarantee for confidence or assurance. As you notice, there's an important aspect of this. Faith, by that very word it's translated in that text, is based upon a firm reality, an objective reality. The faith that God asks of you and me is not a blind leap in the dark. There are some who, in fact, will take an approach or a viewpoint in which, by a misunderstanding, think that faith asks one to move in a direction for which there is no evidence. That is not biblical faith. Faith is based on an objective reality whereby we have witnesses or experience or the testimony of others that leads us to appreciate the absolute and eternal correctness of that which is presented. Now, the Hebrew writer did not stop at that point. The opening statement has given the definition, but you'll notice that there are 39 verses that follow it. And in those verses are presented that objective reality whereby our faith should stand strong and firm. Isn't it amazing to consider, though, that that's but one of the words found in that opening verse. Another one that occurs is that word evidence. That word again... Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word evidence simply refers to that by which invisible things are proved. That by which something that is not visible can firmly be appreciated and understood to exist. Well, notice how marvelous faith is. So many elements and so many things that draws directly to our attention. Many times throughout the course of the remainder of our lesson, we will refer back and think about the elements we've just learned in that definition. But let's proceed to note the following application. We noted so easily, Noah's going to be the main subject. But there's a verse that precedes the one that deals with Noah. That verse being verse 7 that discusses Noah. Note verse 6 with me. For it states one more important fact that we should consider before we look at Noah in more careful detail. Notice the amazing statement therein made. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Notice it's impossible to please God without faith. It's no wonder you and I are so interested in mission efforts to show a world that so often is lost and dying by those who know not the Savior. We need to help them see the Savior by the eye of faith so that they can be pleasing in His sight. But isn't it amazing as that verse closes, it says something else. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must first what? Believe that He is. Immediately we appreciate that a person must believe in the existence of a God that he cannot see with a physical eye. Let's face it, there were times in the Holy Scriptures where the privilege was given to some to actually see God, if you will, in a type that related to flesh. They might see one of his angels. Moses on one occasion, even you might remember, God covered with his hand the character of Moses and God passed by in Exodus 32 and Moses was able to see the apparition or the behind appearance of God. That has not been granted to you and me. With our physical eye, we can't see a picture of him. Nonetheless, by faith, 
We know God exists. We have the utmost confidence, the absolute assurance, there's no doubt in our mind. There is a God. And that verse tells us that our faith must lead us to that fact. But don't notice it must lead us further than that too. For not only must that be the case, notice how the verse ends, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Just as surely as we then believe that God does exist, we must also believe that he will reward those who diligently seek him. Notice that adverb diligently. We must pursue God, seek Him, and isn't that what God told the people of Israel through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 13? He said, You seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. God desired all that Israel had to offer and all that the power that they had to seek Him, and He demands no less of us today. We must believe that He is and that He will reward those who diligently seek Him. At this point, think about some of the things that that naturally leads us to say about our faith. As we've used this to help appreciate where we're leading to, maybe it's time to look at the case of Noah. What about Noah's faith? Does it help us also appreciate better our faith? As we turn the clock back to Genesis chapter 6, we learn immediately about the setting, the character of how Noah lived upon this earth. Ten generations from the time of Adam. In other words, ten generations had passed since the very dawn of creation. And when we come to the time of Noah, in Genesis 6, verse number 5, we immediately encounter a very sad and tragic description. We each have read that and have pondered it, but it says there that God looked upon the human family and he noted that every thought of men's heart was only evil continually. Men and women thought things that were unwholesome and ungodly. They directed their attention to that which was unwholesome and to that which was not a part of what God would appreciate and like for them to do. But as God looked over the creation and saw the powerful way that mankind had given itself to sin, we notice that there's a bright oasis on the desert of sorrow and sin. There was a man named Noah. And verse 9 describes him as just and perfect in his generations. There was this man, Noah, amidst the world of iniquity and sin. Noah strove to do that which was pleasing and right. He gave his life and attention to following the ways of God. The amazing thing to be noted in verse number 11, the corruptness and the violence that had overcome the world is such that God had become fed up with it. He had become to such an extent where the text says it repented him of the condition of this place, and he made a determination, a determination to destroy it with a flood. The text of that chapter, as well as the next two, give us the details of how God reigned from heaven as well as the fountains of the deep were opened. Flood waters covered this earth in its entirety. In chapter 7, we even learned that the flood waters rose to a level of over 22 feet above the highest mountain on earth. Even the highest hills were covered. The greatest of trees, the highest of mountains, all covered with waters of that global flood of Noah's day. 
But as we appreciate all of that, it's that very fact that leads us back to the text of Hebrews 11. For notice, the inspired writer, and we noted it a moment ago in our reading, made this statement. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Two times in that verse the word faith occurs. It is clear that the inspired scriptures teach us that Noah acted the way he did. He pursued the things he did in an attitude and in response to the faith he had. Let's then notice what about that faith. Since this is a portion of the New Testament, and since it is used to help present an example of faith to you and me, our faith should mimic Noah's in at least some way. Our faith, we can increase it and build it and strengthen it by learning from the man named Noah. Let's then learn several lessons based upon the character of Noah. The first one perhaps would be this one. The very nature of Noah teaches us the following fact. God made known to Noah the fact of a coming flood. Notice that was a part of the verse we just read. Noah was warned by God of things not seen as yet. Notice that God delivered to Noah, informing him of the coming flood when as yet it had not yet arrived. And thus in that warning, we learn something immediate about faith. Again, this destruction was to be tremendous. It was to not only be that which would be local, but it would include Noah and his family if appropriate preparation was not made. Thus the warning came. That warning made known to him not only the coming flood, but what in fact must be done about it. Can we not immediately draw a conclusion? Noah must have believed in God's existence. Otherwise, he would have made no plans and no preparation for the coming flood. Did we not know a moment ago from Hebrews 11 the fact that one must believe in God? Noah obviously did. He had confidence in the reality of God. He believed in the truthfulness of his word in such a way that Noah even pursued it without question. That also leads us to a next comment. Noah accepted every word that God had presented, every word that God had made, the revelation that God had informed him of. Doesn't that lead us to a recognition of what our faith today should and must be like? For after all, at the very bottom of that screen, isn't that truly the fact of what it means to say evidence of things not seen? God warned Noah about a flood that Noah had never seen. In fact, Noah had never even seen it rain. According to Genesis chapter 2, God watered the fact of his creation with a mist. We have no record that it had rained prior to Genesis chapter 6. And yet Noah, though he'd never seen that, though he certainly had never seen a flood, nonetheless believed purely and exactly what God had said, and he took God exactly at his word. Isn't that a great deal of faith? But what does that say about you and me today? In fact, could we not make the following statement? And I posted it there at the bottom of that screen. There are many things you and I have never seen either. But yet by faith we must have the complete confidence that they exist. 
What about the day of judgment? That yet lies in the future for you and for me. We've never seen a day of judgment. We have never physically visited by way of a spectator what that may be like. Nonetheless, just as Noah had complete faith and confidence in the reality of that coming flood, and there was 120 years between the time he was first warned about it and the time it became reality, you and I also must realize that day of judgment is just as certain. It's coming for all of us. We must believe in it, have absolute confidence that it will occur. What about heaven? Who among us has ever seen heaven? Not a one. Who among us has ever seen hell? Not a one. But yet we know those places exist. How do we know it? By faith. Just like Noah knew that that flood was coming because God said so, you and I have the surest of confidence, that objective reality by the Word of God, that those places exist because God said so. We're beginning to learn more about faith, aren't we? It leads us to have the greatest of conviction concerning things we can't even see. Many things in the world of religion are in fact based on what is not openly sensible by our physical eye and our physical senses. But notice, there are other lessons we can learn about faith. Not only this one, that God made known to Noah a coming flood, and Noah thus made adequate recognition of it, so too we know there are things God has warned us about. We must believe it, have confidence, and respond in an appropriate way which is, in fact, leading us directly to another point. Let's consider this one as well. This next point is fair to say. Not only did God warn Noah about the coming flood, he stated something else to him. He gave instruction whereby Noah could be saved. Now, isn't it interesting that that instruction that God revealed to Noah, he was a preacher of righteousness, we learn in 2 Peter 2, verse 5. And inasmuch as Noah preached that righteousness, it is sad that no others chose to accept it. Only Noah, his wife, his children, or his sons, and their wives. But we learn that God did make known that way of salvation. That has another role to play in faith. Consider this with me. Noah was told to build that ark. That ark was, uh, you might remember, very carefully prescribed. It had three stories. It was, you might remember, 300 cubits in length, some 50 cubits wide, some 30 cubits high. All of that being said, it was to be made of gopher wood. He was to bring on it pairs of animals of all the creatures of earth. Noah was given careful instructions, and by virtue of that, he could save not only himself, but all that would be aboard that ark. Fact is, Noah responded to what God had commanded. The way of salvation was made known to him, and he did not question it. Many have often noted that a number of things Noah might have asked, God, you mean you expect me to build an ark? Why don't you just miraculously save me and all of those who are faithful? Why don't you miraculously lift us up in some kind of a balloon and just save us for a year's time? That wasn't God's will, and Noah didn't question it. He proceeded to do what God commanded. And isn't it amazing? The undertaking was massive. Faith, you see, led Noah to realize this was not going to be a short-term solution. He couldn't build that ark in a week, or even a month, or even a year. 
The text indicates in the opening part of Genesis 6 that it took well over a century to construct that ark. Your faith and mine sometimes may not result in the conclusion to a matter in a week or a month. Faith may be a long-term building relationship, and it may in fact take a number of years before the absolute reality of what that faith is leading to is seen. But that's a wonderful thing about faith. Can you imagine day by day as Noah hammered in the construction of that ark? Focused, he remained on the ultimate goal. You and I too, by our faith, can stay focused on the ultimate goal, knowing that the labors of our faith will be well worth the effort, knowing that those labors will lead to a glorious reward that awaits. It's interesting as we look at this, that Noah diligently sought the things that God commanded. We noted a moment ago that not only was it enough to believe that God exists, one must diligently pursue His Word, and this is exactly what Noah did. He not only believed that, that God existed, he furthermore believed that God would diligently reward those who pursue Him. That same thing is true for you and me today. It's not enough just to believe that God exists. Let's face it for a moment. The beauty of the creation about us testifies that there is a God. What we see about us could not have happened by accident. And didn't the psalmist say in Psalm 14, 1, The fool hath said in his heart there is no God. Even the testimony of creation is strong to lead us to know that there is a God, but that's not enough to get you and me to heaven. We must not only believe in him, but that by his word he will reward those that diligently seek him. There are many in the world who may think God exists, and they may give credit to him, but they have not placed their trust in diligently pursuing him, and that's still a sadness. It's still something that breaks our heart. We must believe that God will diligently reward those who pursue him. But notice the direct application of that same point. Just as surely as Noah believed that in that way of salvation made known to him, we must understand too that there is a way of salvation presented and in diligently pursuing him, we must believe in the reality of that way of salvation. The church is the grandest organization on earth, by far. In fact, it towers above anything that's man-made. Human hands never touch the church. Our Savior said he would build it in Matthew 16, 18. He had blood purchased it in Acts 20, 28. And as such, this glorious body of which we are a part, we are blessed to be a part of it. Christ Jesus is the head, Colossians 1.18, and all of its doctrine was determined 200 decades ago now, Jude verse 3. But that tells us this way of salvation has been made known. And we, in faith, just like Noah pursued his way of salvation, we must pursue ours if we are to diligently seek the Lord. No wonder we place such confidence and treasure in this Bible as we learned this morning, not only in the sermon, but also in the Bible study, there's every confidence and assurance this is an objective reality. Those who think that they have found discrepancies and mistakes within it every time they've been shown to be incorrect, every time they've been found to be inaccurate, never once has this book been found to be an error. 
And after all, it is the truth. John 17, verse 17, Our Savior on the very night before He was crucified said, Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And He prayed that to His Father. The Word of God is absolute and wholesome truth. And as such, we have the way of salvation clearly laid out for us herein. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a blessing? Noah was given a way of salvation from the flood. We are given a way of salvation from hell. We must pursue it diligently. It is no wonder that in 2 Peter 1, verse 10, we learn that there Peter gave the admonition to his readers to make certain that your calling and your election are sure. Is your election sure? Is mine sure? It ought to be. Our faith should lead us to pursue the way of God diligently, and therein we will find a salvation that God desires us to know. Near the bottom of that screen, you also notice something about the pathway of salvation and how that, that is laid out for you and me. God is so clear. The Lord was so clear. The apostles were so clear. Jesus did say in Mark 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. How is that so difficult to understand? We do read in Hebrews 5 verse 9, Though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. You and I simply cannot then believe that God exists and hope that that's enough. We must also believe in the reality of his word and pursue that to salvation. These facts alone, though, perhaps lead us to another comment. What else might we learn from Noah's faith that might help our own? Lesson number three. It's also true that Noah responded by doing what God said. We've noted already that God gave instruction to the completion of an ark. Noah had never seen a ship that size. In fact, in our world today, there aren't that many ships that size. The fact is, that ship was enormous. It was gigantic. The reason is, God had a desire to save all of those who had an interest in being saved. So too, in our faithfulness, we too do simply what God said. When God gave the instruction to Noah to build the ark, Noah didn't question it. He didn't suggest an alternate idea. He didn't put forth another possibility. He simply did what God said. And maybe concerning faith, this is such a valuable lesson. In Genesis 6, verse 22, please note the reading with me. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. In other words, Noah did precisely and exactly that which God said, but the Hebrew writer centuries later said that is faith. For again, in Hebrews eleven seven, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, whereby he condemned the world in righteousness by the act which is by faith. In other words, that same verse in Genesis 6.22 defined faith in the Old Testament, doing simply what God says. Today there are so many who seem to have a different idea. They would much prefer to do it their way. 
They think they have a better idea than God. They would rather have other terms for salvation. They would rather have other items for worship in the church. They would rather have a different prescription altogether for the Lord's body. But the fact is, faith is simply humbly doing what the Lord said do. There are times you and I won't understand the workings of God in the sense that we don't see the largest of pictures. They didn't always in the Old Testament. But you and I know absolutely that this will always be exactly, perfectly, and completely right. That simply means we in faith, by faith, do simply what God says. We know that that's pleasing to Him. We know that it's what He finds acceptable, and we know that it is beneficial for us. Ultimately, the faith leads us to appreciate that very fact. But isn't it finally worthy of note? Just as surely as the point could be made, this is much more than simply mentally asserting the existence of God. It's much more than verbally confessing His Word. There are those in our land, in fact, around the world, who will happily say, bow before a TV as some preacher is there talking. And as he tells them to do so, they will ask Jesus to enter their heart. Have they done what God said to do? They may feel good about that, but that's really not the question. Have they done what God said? Because that's faith, remember. What my perception of faith is must be based on the Lord's, or else it's not faith at all. Faith, again, is the recognition from Hebrews 11.1, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that leads to the appreciation of what God has said and the humble submission to it. That's, in a very simple way, what the Bible describes about faith. And isn't it wonderful? It seems so simple. But you and I can sometimes be prideful. We can be arrogant and we can lift ourselves up and make excuses for not doing what God said. Excuses they may be, but they don't excuse our behavior. For faith is never anything other than this. The humble submission of doing what God said. Have you noticed in a study of the book of Acts, there we have a record of the early church. In 28 chapters, we learn clearly and beautifully what faith is. When Paul and Peter and the others preached on the missionary journeys, and as they began to establish the church in areas, what is faith? Every time in the book of Acts, faith results in and is described by those activities that people did in response to the teaching that they had had. Today, when you and I respond in faith, it again means we do what God said do. And that's such a simple and beautiful idea. As we've looked at these things concerning faith tonight, we have used Noah out of that chapter as our example, but remember there's many, many others given in that same chapter. What did Abel do? For it says, by faith he did something... Well, notice he offered the acceptable sacrifice, whereas his brother Cain didn't. Faith again exhibited by virtue of something accomplished. Abel did something. He didn't just confess or he didn't just pray. He did something. So too, what about Abraham? He did something. What about the others like Moses? He did something. Faith always manifests itself in the things that we exemplify in life. And isn't that the point of James chapter 2? 
In fact, you can probably state much of the two verses of verses 17 and 18 with me. Notice how that verse begins in James 2, verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. The faith that you and I have in believing that God exists and in believing that He will reward those that diligently seek Him is a faith that leads day by day to doing what He said. And others that look at my life and yours should be able to see that we are devoted to His cause because our life is described by what's written in this book. No wonder Paul could say to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4.11 that the life of Christ Jesus is manifested in us. And oh, what a joy that is to think that as others look at us, they can see the Savior if we're living the way we should. Tonight, as we've studied about faith, we've reached the closing of our lesson. But in summary, could we perhaps summarize and conclude this way? We have learned tonight that faith is a wonderful and important subject. We have relearned again the fact that one must possess faith or else he cannot be pleasing to God. But we've also learned more about what faith actually is. Again, though it's defined as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, we've learned that by studying the life of Noah, that meant those three things we've learned. First, recognizing the warnings about things we've never seen. We must believe in what the reality of those things, though we've never seen them, because God has warned us. Secondly, we must realize that those warnings also include a way of salvation, and we must also believe and pursue that. And finally, in pursuing that way of salvation, it means doing what God has said to do. As we think about all of that tonight, we remember on one occasion the apostles asked Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. Maybe you and I would also desire that same thing. Always wishing to reach higher marks of faith. All of us want to do that because we want to mature and we want to be what God wants us to be. Tonight, have you obeyed the gospel? You see, God has said that we must do that. If you've never done that, realize your faith should lead you to, or else your faith isn't as complete as it ought to be. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He said in John 8, 24, Except ye believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. We notice the imperative nature of repentance. For on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, Repent! and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. But we notice also that confession is an essential part of our obedience. For in Romans 10, verse 10, we learn that confession is made unto salvation. Finally, we are immersed, buried in water, for the remission of sins. And after all, wasn't that what Paul was told in Acts 22.16, where we read there that it was in that act that his sins were washed away. If you've never done that, let tonight be the night. The baptismal waters are ready. Brethren are excited about rejoicing for you. But if you have become a Christian, but you've allowed your faith to become weak, and that is possible, maybe a different lesson we will describe what weak faith is. But if you've allowed that to happen, come back to the Savior. Let Him make it strong again. And it'll not happen overnight. 
But day by day, as you give yourself to pursuit of the Master and to His way, your faith will be stronger. He guarantees it. If you need to come back asking for prayers tonight, we'd be honored and happy to pray on your behalf. If we could assist you in either of these ways, let us do that even now while together we stand and while we sing.